Good morning, church. It's um, our pastor for preaching, Dan Deckard, is out um, enjoying some time with family, and so he'd asked me to bring God's word, and um, it's a privilege for me to come up here and present God's word to you. And it's uh, it's always joyful. Um, it's a, it gives me great joy to um, to preach God's word. Um, and I hope that this morning y'all would be edified through the preaching of His word. Um, but before we get started, let me um, open up in prayer because I, I need God's grace and I need his mercy to deliver God's word this morning. Father, I thank you so much for being gracious to us. Father, that you would draw people here in this place this morning to hear your word is a testimony to that grace, Father, because you have a word for your people today. Lord, where would we be if your saving grace had not saved us, changed us, and transformed us, Lord? We'd be out of these walls, Lord, living like the rest of the world who knows not you. But Father, you've been gracious. You stopped us in our tracks, and you transformed us, and you've created us to be worshipers of the one true and living God. Lord, I pray that you would guard my lips from preaching any falsehood that you would lead me and direct me by your Holy Spirit to preach truth so that your people would be built up and that the church would be edified. God, we thank you. I ask that your word and your voice would be heard and not mine this morning. Father, I pray these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. So I, um, I've still got the jitters. <laughs> I had coffee this morning, and I told first service that um, this is just some wisdom for the men here. <laughs> I, I woke up this morning, and my wife told me, uh, don't drink coffee. You know how you get when you, before you preach and you drink coffee, don't drink coffee. And I said, I'll be fine. I didn't heed her words. Husbands, heed the words and the counsel of your wives. The Lord has given us a helpmate for a reason. <laughs> so... Um, uh, let's, let's just get to it. Um, today's message is going to be in uh, John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. The name of Robert Robinson may not be familiar to many here, but I'm sure that... Um, Many here are familiar with one of his hymns. In fact, we sing it here quite often. And I'd venture to say that it is a, uh, it's a hymn that many of us here treasure. Um, because when we sing it, when, I, when we sing it as a congregation, I hear it sung with so much uh, passion and so much, uh, it, it's, uh, and, and just great delight. And, and I enjoy joining within the, uh, w- with the saints to, to sing that song with you guys. Um, the first stanza goes like this. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Robert Robinson wrote that hymn in the 1700s, and it's a, it's a wonderful stanza, is it not? It's just a declaration of God's grace and mercy. However, Robinson's life wasn't always um, in tune or uh, similar of 
to, um, to the first stanza of his song. Um, Robinson wasn't always tuned, his heart wasn't always tuned to sing of God's grace and his mercy. He wasn't always singing melodious sonnets, and nor were his eyes always fixed upon the mount of Christ's redeeming love. During the declining years of Robinson's life, um, it, re- it resembled more uh, a couple of the lines found in the fourth stanza of his song, which goes like this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. During a season in Robinson's life, he had lost um, a happy communion with his Savior. And as a result, uh, he traveled around in order to relieve his mind of the pain that he had gone through because of, uh, of having broken fellowship with the Lord. Uh, along that journey, um, he became acquainted with a woman and, regarding spiritual matters. Uh, one day they were sitting and the, the women uh, asked him uh, about this hymn that she was reading. Uh, surprising, surprisingly enough, the hymn that she asked him about was the one that he wrote. Hello. <clears throat> and um, he, he, began to, uh, he began to weep as, uh, as she talked about uh, this hymn because he was reminded of the love that he once had for Christ, which was no more. And uh, as the tears flowed down his cheeks, he, he told the lady, um, I wish I could once again feel and experience the love that I had for Christ when I first wrote that hymn. The lady was astonished to find out that who, who he was. Um, and uh, although she was astonished, she reminded him that the grace and mercy that, um, that he wrote about still did flow for him. After he heard that, he turned from his wayward wandering and he came back into fellowship with Christ. How many of you here this morning, have often wandered from Christ. How many times have you failed over and over again? And being overburdened with the guilt and the shame that comes from your sins, you start to think that Christ does not love you, that Christ will not receive you because of the effects of sin. One of the most severest and damaging effects of sin is that it clouds the believer's heart from seeing and knowing the, uh, the love that God has for his people. Maybe you failed at being a husband or a wife. Maybe you failed at being a, uh, a parent. Maybe you're, you're here this morning and you're struggling with some sin. You're struggling maybe with pride, anger, selfishness. And your sensitivity to sin has, um, has become overbearing for you. And you're starting to think that, um, that because of your sin, that you can't come to Christ. If you're in that place this morning, I hope that, uh, that God would bless you through the preaching of his word. Uh, and that he would, by his spirit, work in your heart to transform the, your way of thinking from having a distorted view of God's grace to having a right view of God's unending ever-abounding grace for you in Jesus Christ. I said our text this morning is John chapter 15, uh, 21, verses 15 through 19, but I'm going to go and start, uh, I'm going to read the text beginning in verse 1, just so that we can get an idea of the text in which it's found in, uh, the surrounding context. Verse 1, chapter 21. 
After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw the charcoal, a charcoal of fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. As I said earlier, um, our main portion is going to be um, zeroing, and we're going to be zeroing in on verses 15 through 19. Um, but I wanted us to get a, uh, an idea of the context of uh, the passage in which it is found. In verses, uh, you can see in um, verse 1 of 21, it says that after this, Jesus revealed himself to, again, to the disciples. What does he mean by after this? I believe what he's saying or is, is referring to is the two previous appearances of Christ to the disciples in chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. The disciples were in a locked room because of fear of the Jews, and Christ appears to them, and he shows his disciples his wounds, and they're glad, they're rejoicing that their Savior is alive. Thomas was not present, um, and when the disciples had informed uh, 
Thomas of the appearance of the Lord. He doubted, of course, right? Um, That's why he's referred to as Doubting Thomas. Um, But eight days later, the disciples were again in a locked room meeting, and Christ again shows or appears to his disciples, this time Thomas being present. And um, uh, Christ tells Thomas, um, put your hands here, touch my wounds. And, um, and Thomas testifies, my Lord and my God. And so it's after this uh, that we come to our passage. This is now the third time that Christ has appeared to his dis- disciples. Verses 1 through 14 focuses on Christ's interaction with the, with the group of the seven disciples that, he was, um, uh, that was present here on this scene. However, there is special attention, as you will see, as you can see, um, given to Peter. Verse 2, it's, uh, Peter is the first name listed among the seven disciples that was present at, uh, at, on the shore. Verse 3 states that he was the leader that um, led the fishing expedition. In verse 10, when Christ asked the disciples to bring the fish um, out on land, it was Peter that hauled it in to the shore. This sets the stage for Christ's personal encounter with Peter. It can be deduced from this that although the church of Christ is a community, we are one body united in Christ, and Christ is concerned with the collective body, uh, his flock, He is at the same time personally concerned about each and one of us personally. Christ is a personal God. Um, And that's amazing that Christ, the creator of the cosmos, uh, and who is in need of absolutely nothing, would take the time to to be involved in in our lives, such uh, such seemingly insignificant creatures as us, that he would take the time to be involved in your life and in my life. Remember the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 18 about um, the, the shepherd who would leave the 99 and go after the one sheep that would wander off? See the heart of Christ, the shepherd of his flock, going after his wounded sheep here. In this passage, there, can, there are three principles that have inferred from the dialogue between Jesus and Peter. They are, uh, one, Jesus weeds out your sins. Two, Jesus restores your heart. Three, Jesus redeems your failures. Let me repeat that again for those of you that are taking notes. One, Jesus weeds out your sins. Two, Jesus restores your heart. And three, Jesus redeems your failures. The first one, Jesus weeds out your sin. You'll easily notice um, that in this discourse with Peter uh, and Christ that Jesus asks Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? What's interesting is that the first time he asked Peter this question, it's different from the last two times that he asked Peter. He adds a few more words um, and he says this, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these. What, what is Christ referring to when he asked Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? I believe that Jesus is referring to, um, uh, is referring to previous statements that Peter had made earlier um, regarding the disciples. Uh, I, 
Jesus is technically is pretty much asking him, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Because in Matthew 26, 33, this is, what, uh, uh, this is what happens there. Jesus quotes the Old Testament, which prophesies the disciples falling away. And this is how Peter responds. Though they all fall away, the disciples, because of you, I will never fall away. John chapter 13, verse 37, Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot come now. And Peter responds in this way. Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Luke chapter 22, verse 33. Jesus foretells Peter that Satan has desired, desired to sift you as wheat. And he tells Peter that your faith is going to fail. But Jesus also says that, I, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail completely. Uh, Peter responds after Jesus tells Peter that, hey, you're, you're going to fail. Peter responds in this way, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I think that what Jesus is doing here is that he's purposefully causing Peter to recall the, uh, the words, um, his words, so that Peter can see that his zealous statements, his bold statements that he was saying were actually statements that were rooted in pride as opposed to a completely surrendered devotion to Christ. Not an empty devotion to Christ because Peter was somewhat zealous. He had some, I believe, good intentioned uh, motives and in uh, what he did. Um, he, was, he was so zealous that he went Mike Tyson on one of the guards in the Garden of Gethsemane and chopped his ear, right? And uh, he was zealous for the Lord. But at the same time, it was mingled. His, his motivation and what was going on inside of his heart was mingled. Tr- uh, truth with, was mingled with falsehood. Peter knew how to talk a big game. But when it came down to it, his knees buckled and he gave way and he denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. Which is why Peter was grieved when Jesus asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At that point, the third time that Christ asked him, he knew exactly, his his mind was going back through those three denials. Jesus was already setting up Peter to to recall these things. Because when um, coupled with where Jesus was at on the shore, it says that he uh, he was on the shore and he was by a charcoal fire. Where was the last time that Peter was at? And and there's only one other place that that charcoal fire is located in all of the New Testament. And it was in uh, that night uh, where Jesus was betrayed and Peter followed him into the high priest's home. And he was also uh, warming his hand by a charcoal fire. And what happened around that charcoal fire? He denied him. He denied his Lord three times at that charcoal fire. The words of Christ and the actions of Christ are precise. There is reason behind all that he does and all that he says. And he is before, he, he's speaking with Peter now, and he's exposing Peter to what was really inside of his heart. Christ was laying Peter's heart before him. Notice also that um, it's the Apostle John in this uh, in this section that calls Peter by his name, Simon Peter. 
Jesus, when he's speaking to, Simon, uh, to Peter, doesn't call him by the name Peter. He says, Simon, son of John. In, in the same gospel, uh, chapter 1, verse 42, that's, uh, that's when Christ gives Peter his name Peter, Cephas. Um, but before that, he was called just Simon or Simon, son of John. I think that Christ is probably using this name to imply that Peter's actions were that of the flesh and that there is a need to reestablish that relationship that was broken. Now, this is just a footnote because I know that there are a few people here at Parkway that are into the Greek. Um, And so I'm just going to briefly mention this part and move on from there. I'm not going to spend too long in here, but I know that uh, I have brothers and sisters that have already asked me about this. And so I'm just going to address it very briefly and then move on. I know that um, in, the, in the English translations, uh, you, there's only one word for love. Christ uh, uses, uh, but in the Greek, there's two words being used. Christ uh, says, um, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responds, uh, uh, yes, Lord, uh, I phileo you. And uh, there's been a debate, and uh, there still is a debate as to whether or not there should be a distinction between those two words. Some have said that agape is used to connote or convey God's love, and phileo is used to convey human love. However, I, I don't agree with that. I don't think that with, um, with, just with how John the apostle uses those two words in his gospel, I don't think that there's a distinction. I think that they're being used interchangeably here and synonymously. Um, I don't think that agape is just used specifically for God's love, the higher love, and phileo just used for the lower love, human love. Let me just show you some examples within this gospel itself where it's, uh, agape is used to convey human love and where phileo is used to convey God's love. Um, for example, John chapter 3, verse 19 uh, people loved or agape the darkness more than the light. John chapter 12, verse 43, they, the Pharisees, loved or agape the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So you see that agape isn't exclusively God's love. It's here being used to convey human love. Now, phileo, is that only, I don't, um, I don't think that it's just used to convey um, human love. And, and just uh, by way of uh, going through John's gospel, he uses it to connote human love. Um, actually, I'm sorry, God's love. John chapter 5, verse 20. For the father loves, or phileos, the son. John chapter 16, verse 26. For the father himself loves, or phileos, you. So um, that's, that's, that's all I have to say about that. Um, I think that the those two Greek words are just being used synonymously. I don't think that there should be a distinction um, to be made uh, with those two words. I may shift if I study this further, but um, for now, based on my current studies, I don't think that there, is, there should be a distinction. It just means the same thing in this context. So I've got a question to ask you. Has the Lord been speaking to you? Has the Spirit been convicting you of truth and exposing an area in your own life that, want, that he wants to weed out of you? You know, it's, it's funny how the Lord speaks to us sometimes regarding our sin when he wants to bring it up. And we don't want anybody else to know. I was at work one day. Um, I th- it was uh, last year, I believe. My friend Vic came to visit me in the office, and he was telling me about his sermon that he had just preached. Um, and immediately after, he, uh, as soon as he started sharing his sermon, 
um, I began to be convicted because of the sin of the sin that I was struggling with. Deep down inside, he didn't know, but I was weeping. I was convicted right there when he was speaking to me. Um, and uh, when he left, I ran after him. And I started crying in front of him. I've in sin, and the Lord convicted me through what you just said. And he encouraged me. He shared the gospel with me, of course. And um, uh, it was uh, it was interesting how the Lord used that to to convict me. He didn't even know. He had no idea that I was struggling with sin. And all he wanted to do was share his sermon with me. Um, But the Lord used that. Um, The Lord wanted to weed out my sin. Does the Lord do that to you? Do you ever get like a phone call or you see um, different things just recurring, people saying things or you read things or whatnot, and these certain specific things just keep coming back and uh, again and again, and the Lord begins to speak to you because he wants to weed out your sin or you're just reading God's word or you're, you're, um, you're living, you're, you're, you're going through your day and certain verses just come up. It's amazing that God so chooses to speak to us. And it's, a, it's an act of grace that God would speak to us and reveal our sins to us. It is an act of grace. When God brings your sin and my sin before us, it's an act of grace that God would decide or, or choose to say, uh, to show us our faults. But why was Jesus wanting Peter to recollect such painful me- memories? Was it to condemn Peter? to make him feel miserable about himself because of his devastating failure? I don't think so. I don't agree with that. I I think that the purpose of the Lord was to restore Peter, which brings us to our next point. Um, Jesus restores your heart. Rodney Whitaker says this, and he comments on this passage. He says, Peter's pride is cut to the quick. Here we see the great physician performing painful but necessary surgery. The light is shining in the darkness of Peter's heart and bringing life. John of the Ladder, a monk in the 500s, said this. He referred to what Christ is doing now in Peter's heart. Was, uh, he was doing a work of uh, uh, creating joy-producing sorrow in Peter's life. It is a repentance that enables one to experience the Lord's love and salvation. Christ the shepherd at this moment is tending to his wounded sheep. Peter is wounded. He has sinned drastically, miserably. But look at the Savior go. Look at this shepherd and how he deals with his wounded sheep. Oh, the love of Christ. I ask you again this morning, where are you this morning? Is there some sin that you've committed and you feel wounded because of that sin? Do you feel miserable this morning? Look at how this shepherd deals with his wounded sheep. Notice also how Peter responds to Jesus. There is no trace of boasting on the part of Peter. There's no longer a comparing between himself and the other disciples, which shows that Christ, having uh, caused Peter to look into his own heart, um, has succeeded in what he, he's intending to do with Peter. He, Peter doesn't answer Jesus' first question by saying, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you more than these other disciples. He simply appeals to the Lord's sovereign knowledge of his own heart. 
He doesn't boast. He doesn't say, yes, Lord, yes, these other disciples, their love is like this. Yes, more than them. No, he simply says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Because he, 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 that's all he can count on right now. The sovereign knowledge of Christ of his own heart. After having been confronted of his sin, Peter no longer has a high opinion of himself. Jesus' surgical work with, uh, with, uh, after confronted, uh, confronting his frailty, um, he, he, he's renewed. He's restored. Christ had to dig deep into Peter's heart because a thriving relationship with Jesus can only happen when we face up to anything and everything that contradicts God's holy will for our lives, no matter how painful or costly it may be. Can I repeat that? Christ had to dig deep into Peter's heart because a thriving relationship with Jesus can only happen when we face up to anything and everything that contradicts God's holy will for our lives, no matter how painful or costly it may be. We tend to hide our sins. We tend to put on um, a mask uh, in front of others and in front of God as if we, we, there is nothing wrong. But Christ will not have that. Christ loves his sheep enough and his people enough that he will perform painful and necessary surgery on the hearts of his sheep in order to heal and restore them. Notice also that when Peter responds to Christ, stating that he does love him, Jesus doesn't correct him or call him out because he sees through Peter's lying lips. His love is true at this point. We know that because Jesus affirms that love by reinstating him into ministry. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, follow me. It should be noted too that it's first and foremost a love, it, it's, it's not first and foremost a love for the church, though that is important. Um, John the Apostle mentions the, the importance of loving the church in his, in his first epistle. Nor is it a love for ministry, a love for missions, or even preaching that is to fuel our service for Christ. It is a love for the person of Christ himself that should fuel us. It's a love rooted, that is rooted in the fact that God loved us first and sent Christ to die on the cross for us. Why do you go out, why do you have a desire for missions? Is it because you love for missions that's a good thing, but does that love for missions override or supersede your love for Christ? Are you being motivated by missions and not Christ? Because that, be, that, that can happen. I need to ask myself, am I motivated to, why, what, what is my motivation to, uh, to, pre, to go to seminary and to preach uh, God's word? Is it so that I can, is the ultimate reasons that I can uh, proclaim God's truth precisely and exegetically? Is it my love for, for, for the work rather than the, the one in whom I work for? 
It should be a love for Christ that motivates us. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.14. The love of Christ compels us. Without, because without a love for Christ, Christians can do a lot of damage. They can do a lot of damage. The first time, this is just exposing myself to you guys and being vulnerable. I, I remember the first time that I'd experienced the doctrines of grace and when I received it, I, 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 I seriously thought that I was the only believer in Fairfield. Oh, you guys don't believe in election? You guys don't believe in predestination and all that? I can't fellowship with you. You're not a believer. What a proud man I was. And so I began to, I, I, it was hard for me during that time. Um, I felt alone because of my pride. You see, a head full of biblical knowledge with a heart empty of a love for Christ is of no use to God. It generates only Pharisees. The church is filled with broken people. I'm broken just as you are broken. I fail miserably just as you fail miserably. And I do believe that there is a place for church discipline and there are times uh, that we need to rebuke and to correct. However, a head full of scriptures with a, a heart empty of a love for Christ will result more times than not in our condemning people as opposed to our becoming conduits of grace both inside the church and outside the church. Another example, like I, I, I would love to, I have a passion for engaging Jehovah's Witness or Jehovah's False Witness because they are not a true witness of Christ um, and, and engaging them in, in hopes that they would come to know the truth and, uh, and to, to, to uh, forsake the false teachings that they have believed in. But I remember that uh, there are times where um, I, I'd succeeded. I felt like I won the, um, the, the, the debate. I'm like, yeah, I, I defended the deity of Christ and I felt um, proud, like I had accomplished something great. Um, but where, was my heart in the right place? No, it seemed like at that point, I, I, my, I was more um, into winning a debate rather than um, uh, sharing Christ in, in hopes that these people would know Christ and come to him. When Christ causes us to recollect our sins, it is for the purpose of producing or giving birth to a more Christ-like character. And I'm, I'm glad to be in seminary. I'm glad to be in a church where the elders and leaders have come alongside me and, and, and just encouraged me to continue to pursue my calling. Um, but I'm also fearful because of all, all the truth that I've been exposed to. I'm responsible to build up the church with truth in the spirit of love. It's not my purpose. It should not be, it should not be my purpose to get puffed up and, uh, and thinking that because I know more, I'm better than other believers who aren't familiar with specific theological terms or who hold to a different non-essential doctrine. You know, here at Parkway, we get a lot of good teaching from the pulpit through our under-shepherd Deckard. But take heed, brothers and sisters, and that, that is a blessing. That is a grace that God has given us here at Parkway to feed us spiritually. But take heed. Take heed lest you abuse that knowledge that you're exposed to, all the light that we're receiving here at Parkway. 
that it becomes about knowledge, that it becomes about truth. Let your love for Christ be the first and foremost doctrine that you learn above all other doctrines. Peter had to learn this the hard way. But he did learn. Which leads us to our last principle. Jesus' reason, um, Jesus redeems our failures. Jesus' reason in exposing Peter's sin and restoring his heart was for the purpose of relaunching him into ministry. He failed miserably. Peter failed miserably. However, Christ redeems his failures and uses it to prepare Peter to be a useful vessel, a useful instrument for gospel ministry. One would think that Christ would want Peter to prove his love first before he would allow Peter back into the ministry. To return to such an important role as spearheading the launch of the church in the first century. However, he didn't. I was speaking to my friend Darren and we were conversing about this passage the other day and he said, um, man, he, he put him to work quick. Jesus didn't have Peter jump through hoops before he reinstated him back into the ministry. Why? Because to Jesus, the most important instrument, the most useful instrument to Jesus at his disposal is a person who, as Rodney Whitaker describes, is one who has a love for Jesus that is characterized by humility, dependence, and obedience. He didn't need to do anything to prove to, to Jesus that he, he did love him at this point because Jesus saw right into his heart. It's not our actions that need to be changed. It's our, our heart that needs to be changed. And, and Jesus accomplished that with this discourse with Peter. Jesus purified, has purified Peter of the dross of pride and has made him, ready and use, uh, made him a ready and useful vessel for the kingdom. Notice Christ's response to Peter's protestation of love to him. Verses 15 and 17, he instructs Peter to feed his lambs with a reference to the ministry of God's word for the purpose of growing and building up the church spiritually. Verse 16, he commands Peter, tend or uh, shepherd the sheep, which is a reference to his pastoral role or to his pastoral duties uh, to the church. Verse 19, Peter is commanded to follow Christ. It's important to note that out of the instructions or the commands, the imperatives that Jesus gives to Peter, that there is a heavier emphasis on, uh, on the ministry of the word. Twice he tells him, feed my sheep. Why? Because it is through the word that hearts are changed, which then transforms the way that we live. It's, in, it's a change inside that, that begins to work itself outside that matters. If you read through the book of Acts and do just a word study on the word word, you'll find that it was because of, because that it was because the word spread that the church grew like wildfire. And it was because the word spread, the church grew spiritually and was edified 
Just do it. I encourage you to do that. Just read through Acts and see how many times that word is mentioned. Word. The church, the, the, the church expanded because of the word. However, the first two instructions to feed the lamb and to shepherd the flock of Christ should not be taken lightly. For after having instructed Peter to feed and shepherd the flock, Jesus foretells Peter's martyrdom. And that martyrdom would be the result of what? Peter's loyalty to Christ, the person of Christ, first and foremost, but also, and then also to his word and to his calling to shepherd and pastor the flock. How would you feel if you were Peter and Christ tells you, hey, Peter, you're, you're going to be martyred? What a revelation that, that Christ gives Peter. Peter now lives his life, the rest of his life, in the shadow of his own cross. And that following Christ and obeying and serving Christ will cost him his life. Sometimes it, it will cost us our lives. But Christ is worthy, Christ is worth it to lay down our lives for. Has he not pursued you? He, has he not taken you out of darkness and brought, in, brought you into his marvelous kingdom? Were you not once lost? Were you not once blind and he gave you eyes to see? Were your hearts not once darkened to the things of the Lord and now you begin to see and understand his word and you begin to know who the one true God is? And he is pouring grace upon grace into your life. Is he not worth it? In closing, I want to ask you, where are you at today? Have you failed the Lord in some way? And is Christ convicting you of some sin? Well, just know that you don't have to waste your failures by wallowing in how much of a sinner you are, by crying so much and, and thinking and, and, and praying and reading your Bible, thinking that all these things, if you continue to, 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 to wallow in your sins and, 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 um, and grieve over your sin, that Christ uh, that after all, doing all these things, Christ or God will, will be pleased with you. That's also a works righteousness salvation. Remember that when Christ weeds out your sin, he does so to restore you in order to make you useful for his kingdom. The, the cross of Christ renews, restores, and redeems you from all of your brokenness to become an agent of grace. So where are you at this morning? Today we're going to be taking communion, which is fitting because if you are in that place feeling miserable over how much you've failed and sinned against the Lord, then the bread that signifies the body of Christ that was broken and the cup that signifies the blood of Christ that was spilled will draw you near to God. If you feel like you can't come to God because of your sin, remember what this signifies. It was not to push sinners away, but it was to bring sinners to God, into his presence, into his fellowship. There's nothing that you or I can do to earn God's grace, to merit righteousness. Christ has already done that on the cross.
Therefore, if you are in that place, I encourage you to, if you are a believer, if you've received Christ and you've professed faith in him, that you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, then you should come. Come and have fellowship with Christ because this is what that represents. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace, for your abounding grace, for your unending grace. It's because of that grace that you've lavished upon us in Christ that although we've failed miserably and we've made a wreck of things, whether in our family, at the workplace, or whatever sphere of relationship that you've placed us in, there is grace readily available for us today because of Christ. Father, I pray that your people here, if there are any of your sheep that have been wounded, that you would convict them and that they would not remain um, distant, but that because of the knowledge of what Christ has done, that they would be restored, renewed in their hearts, and be made useful for your kingdom. God, we thank you so much that you're patient with us. God, as we leave here this morning, may we not forget the truth of your grace and your mercy so that we can walk out of here transformed, shining the light of Christ wherever we're at. Thank you. We pray these things, God, in Christ's precious name. Amen.